0: Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Father God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are with us. Lord, we know that by faith. We know that because the Word of God says that when two or more gather in your name, you are in their midst. And yet, Lord, there, there are moments and seasons in all of our lives, sometimes they're individual, sometimes it is corporate, where we, we just feel your sweetness. And uh, the thickness of your Holy Spirit, it just feels dense all around us. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here today, again, not to watch what we do and see if we do a good service, but you are here to move upon hearts. You are here to melt hearts, God. You are here to restore and to heal. You are here to bring uh, to life what once was dead. And God, you, you, your goal in all of this is just to draw us upward into your gaze. And so we thank you for heaven on earth. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that, that uh, this is real. You are real. And we invite you to, to come and just minister deeply to us through worship, through prayer, through the word. Lord, just encourage every heart in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, we are... I don't know if you're keeping up with where we are in Scripture, but we are now at Romans chapter 7, and I will tell you that Romans chapter 7 is so beautiful, it is so rich, it it, it speaks of a reality that for us is so amazing, but for theologians, this has been one of the thorniest chapters of Scripture, the debate, the back and forth over Romans chapter 7, what it's all about… Um, it, it's just, it's baffling um, just how, how much is made of this, this chapter um, theologically, just, just in all the back and forth. So, let, let's get ready for it here, just a couple of sentences. Um, in Romans 6, Paul has been talking to us about the law of God, all right? Now, that could reference the whole Old Testament or the Mosaic law of God that we find there, but he's been talking about the law of God, and he, and he said a few things that are are hard for us if we spend a whole lot of time in church, if we have a religious background. One of the things that he he has taught very clearly is that before Jesus Christ, nobody ever succeeded in walking out the law of God. Uh, In its entirety to perfection, no one's ever really succeeded in obeying the law of God before. And then he's also added to us that that the, the law of God cannot save us It cannot set us free. Instead, he said last week, sinners are set free by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So this is where we kind of left off last week. Now, for a Jewish person to hear this, all right, even a Jewish Christian, so 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 a Jew who has just converted uh, to Christ and they're a messianic Jew, Paul's, Paul's wording, Paul, Paul's statements about the law. They are a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. Now, here's why. Because to the Jews, the law of God is more precious than honey. Uh, It is more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. The law of God is the law of life. It, It is their connection to God. It is sacred. And so, for the Jews, hearing all of this in verse 6, they're a little bit like Desi Arnaz in I Love Lucy. You know, they're kind of looking at Paul going, Lucy, you've got some explaining to do here. You have got to explain yourself with all these law statements. You had better elaborate, Paul, and you better elaborate really fast. Otherwise, this Christian faith that you've been proclaiming, that you've been teaching here, there, and everywhere, this thing is going to fall like a house of cards. This is the mindset of the Jews hearing this. Now, here's what they're afraid of. They're, 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 they're very concerned about two things, all right? Let's see if either one of these are familiar. First of all, that they have a concern that Paul's teaching about the law is going to breed a whole bunch, a new generation of religious white knucklers, Okay, people are gonna hear Paul speaking against the law of God and they're gonna react. They're gonna react against Paul and, and they're gonna dig in and they're gonna say, Paul, we will never abandon the Word of God. In fact, we bind ourselves anew to every law, every precept, every jot and every tittle. And they're, they're gonna insist that the Word of God must be obeyed. And they are gonna strive all over again to be made holy by this law that you say cannot save them and set them free. And and so, the concern here is that the Old Testament Pharisees are just going to be replaced by a new breed of New Testament legalists. So, there is a real concern that Paul is just going to start legalism all over again. That's one extreme. And then there's the concern about the other extreme here, and it's a little thing called antinomianism. There is a big concern that, Paul, you're going to breed a radical generation of antinomians. Now, here's what an antinomian is, okay? An antinomian takes the words of Jesus, where Jesus uh, issues the, the greatest commandment, and he says, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself all of the law and the prophets are all summed up in this one command. So, their concern is you know, people are going to hear you speak in Paul about the law. They're going to say, well, you know what? All we are now is just committed to the law of love, and we are completely free from any obligations or any responsibilities to, to the rest of the law's demands. Does that sound familiar? Because it should. If you look at the two wings of even the evangelical church, what do you have on one side? You have strict fundamentalists. They're still with us. And then on the other side, you have the hyper-grace set, right? It is just 100% grace, and you know we can kind of do our own thing. So what they're concerned about is is something that's actually actually come to life. So the question here is, how is Paul going to sort this out? how is he going to explain this? You know, how will Paul tackle, you know, what he's kind of brought forward to us, which is this 800-pound gorilla? How is he going to tackle this thing? And by the way, a side note is I looked up the average weight of a gorilla. I hate to tell you this, is only 350 pounds. The saying doesn't fit. But anyway, getting back to the point, but, but how is Paul going to do this? How will he deal with the issue of God's law in our lives as it relates to holiness. Where will Paul place the law of God now that Jesus Christ has come and He's fulfilled the law? That's a really good question. So here we go, Romans chapter 7, 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, the Jews primarily, that the law has authority over someone, only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she marries another, or some translations say, a, have sexual relations with another husband, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law. She is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work at us. So that we bore fruit for death, but now by dying to once bound us what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Let me just pray one thing for us. Father God, in Jesus' name, we have all had so much teaching in our lives about your law, about its place in our lives and Lord, where there is any interference in our heads, even as I studied this week, I got hung up on this point and that point. Father, we just ask you in Jesus' name to give us a clear, clean mind and heart to really consider with Paul this wonderful new relationship you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul does something very interesting here, he, uh, he uses an a, a example of marriage to teach us about our relationship to the law, and I just want to tell you, it is a fascinating example he uses. Um, he, he cites two husbands here. Now, in this passage, our two husbands are the law and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, by law, specifically here, Paul is talking about Mosaic law, and we know that because he uses an example of Mosaic law. And he starts off saying, Look, everyone knows that in a Mosaic law, in in a Mosaic marriage, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But when he dies, she's free to marry again. In other words, here's what Paul is thinking. Here's, Here's what he's teaching. Before we met Jesus Christ, we were bound to the law, all right? And it was, it, we were bound like a married person. We were bound to the law, but then one of us died. And the intriguing question is, who died in Paul's example? Now, is it the law? It cannot be the law. That's absolutely impossible. Uh, Psalm 119, 89 says, "'Your word, O Lord, is eternal, standing firm in the heavens.'" So, in Paul's example, uh, the law didn't die, but reaching back to last week, we learned about somebody who did die. Who was it? It was us. We died with Christ. So, following his logic again, we are no longer married and bound in the same way to the old system of, of regulations. The law, in other words, the law no longer lords it over the people of God, like a first century husband. Why? Because we've died to it. Because we've been raised to Jesus Christ. And, and this is the heart of Paul's point. Now we are married to Christ and we belong completely to him. We don't share Christ in that marriage in, in any, any way. We belong completely to Christ. Now, do not worry, okay? Paul is not going antinomian on us, all right? Um, Paul is not saying, okay, so in light of that, since you're all married to Christ, y'all just go on out there, party like rock stars, do whatever you want. You're married to Christ. It doesn't matter. That's not his point. Because especially if you look at verse 6, in no way does it suggest, and here's the irony, in no way does it suggest that we walk away from the law of God. Right now, at this point, Paul is saying, we are released, though, from that marital obligation to the law. Now, some of you may be thinking, um, as many have thought before you and still debate uh, for you right now, that Paul's little parable here just completely fell apart, right? It, it doesn't hold for a minute. I mean, he starts out with a wife whose husband dies, Um but then the wife dies and ends up married to Christ. It feels like he starts with an example and the whole thing just falls apart on us, but it's not true. Here's why. In this passage, Paul is not giving us a parable. What he's doing is he's telling us how the kingdom of God works. He's telling us how wonderful, how mind-blowing, how awesome, and incredible this salvation is. And if you've ever noticed what the kingdom of God, sometimes people will say, you know, when it comes to the kingdom of this earth and the kingdom of God, one of them seems backwards. This is one of those times. It operates very, very differently here. So, Paul ends this analogy in verse 4 saying that this happened for a reason, this death to the law and this marriage to Christ. And it happened so that we might bear fruit for God. Now, when Paul talks about bearing fruit, he is not talking about physical children. What Paul is talking about is spiritual fruit. He's talking about the fruit of holiness, the fruit of the Spirit. And you know where that leads us? Ironically, right back to the Word of God. I know. It's really amazing, isn't it? I mean, it leads us right back to the Word of God, but here's the difference. Now we approach the, God, the, uh, the law of God, the Word of God. Now we come back to it, no longer slaves chained to the letter of the law, but we come to it now, married to Christ, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are free to serve God now and walk in the law in absolute freedom, and in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so so the flip is, now as Christians married to Christ, we do obey the law of God. We still walk in the law of God. But we walk in it in delight. There is pleasure for us in in, in just the, the law of God. You know, in fact, it's like eating the very best meal which I hope sounds like Jesus to you, because what did He say when it came to the law of God in John four thirty four? He said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And so there's just this incredible heart change and this relationship change to, to the law of God that is just amazing we join Christ in marriage, and we walk out the will of God just like He did. And by the way, I'll read verse 6 now. This is the heart of verse 6. Paul says, but now, by dying to what once bound us, we have now been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Why is that? because the law of God is no longer our husband. Jesus Christ is our husband. He has set us free to serve God anew by the Holy Spirit. And that's basically Paul's teaching here. Now, that sounds awesome, I know, but Paul still has got a couple of issues he has got to deal with with his Jewish audience because the Jews are hearing this. They're getting this. They know the law of God better than most of us in the room, so they're getting it. They're making connections, but, but Paul has still got to deal with a couple of big issues here because it still sounds like he has said a few things about the law that are just not permissible. They're just heretical. So Paul deals with the, with the two questions that are in the minds of his Jewish audience. Question number one, in verse 7, his audience says back to him, Paul, what are we supposed to conclude? You know, listen to you talk about the law. Are you saying, are you still saying that the law of God is sinful? Because you, you said that the law can't save us, it can't set us free. You, you, you've spoken many sentences where sin and the law are right there together. So, are you saying that the Word of God is the cause of sin? Paul's answer to them certainly not. Out of the Greek, absolutely not. And, and then he, he gives us a couple of very useful points about the law of God, why the law of God matters so much for us right now. Number one in verse 7, he says, Look, if it were not for the law of God, I would not have even known what sin was. And then he cites covetousness as an example in his own life. He says, look, the law of God showed me what sin was. The law of God pointed out that here is this thing that brings death and separation in my life. Is the law of God the cause of sin? Absolutely not. The law of God is a lifeline against sin. It saves me from that bear trap. His second point here in verse 5, the law of God also provokes sin. Now, I say that and that actually sounds a bit off here, doesn't it? But what he's saying is, look, my sinful passions were aroused by the law, which, meaning this. Sin looked at the law and tried to use the law as a mean to tempt me and, uh, and to, make, to, to lead me into transgression against God. So what, what, what sin did was it took God's command and it tried to recreate the Garden of Eden all over again for me like this example, don't covet. You know, sin comes slithering up, says Paul, and just says, don't covet? Really? Did God say that? Did God mean that? Covetousness, it's not that bad, Paul. God's not hung up on that. Go ahead and try it out. And then Paul goes in to that temptation, that Garden of Eden temptation that we all feel at times in our lives. Despite the fact that we, we belong to God, there is a tug of war in our lives when it comes to sin between flesh and spirit, when even as Christians, we do sometimes what we know we shouldn't do, and how, how, how much we hate it when we, when, when we break God's law, and we, 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 you know, we've walked into this. So, Paul's saying, look, sin targets the law sin comes up to deceive us, saying, come on, give it a whirl. And you might want to ask the question, well, why would sin do that? Because Satan hates the law of God, and Satan wants us to break the law of God. That's part of what he means here in verses 8 and 11 when he says, look, sin seizes every opportunity and uses the law of God to just stir up these wrongful desires in me. So his answer To his Jewish audiences, absolutely no. Uh, The law does not cause sin. And there's a second question there though that's floating in the mind of his audience, which is okay. But Paul, it still sounds like you're saying that the law at least brings death to us. So, in verse 13, he points this out. His answer to them is absolutely not. The law of God does not bring death sin brings death in our lives. Sin just takes this beautiful thing, the law of God, and seeks to twist it to an evil purpose. So, in all, what Paul is teaching his audience is, look, just as the law is not responsible for our salvation, the law of God is absolutely not responsible for sin or death. And so, so here we are at that, kind of the end of Paul's teaching, and we are still kind of left with a wrestling match when it comes to the law of God and, and sin that's out there, and Paul even points it out. You know, we're kind of left as believers crying out, Lord, I want to do good, but evil is, is right there with me. I am caught between this desire to, to, to serve you, God. And to obey you. And and, and I'm also caught in between this this other thing, this disobedience and my, my messy life. And then verse 24, oh, what do I do? God, in response to this, the sin and the law, what do I do? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from all this? And Paul has got an answer for that. Oh, has Paul got an answer in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I don't know if you caught what Paul just did with that one verse, but Paul just brought us all the way back to the example he opened with. Paul just walked us back to our marriage to Christ, our our union with Jesus Christ, the the Lord and love of all. He, He takes us back there. To Jesus, who sets us free from the law and enables us to walk out the law with Him. As we look back over this passage now, there are a couple things we really need to acknowledge as the church of Jesus Christ, and we've covered them, but I want to make sure we get them. Number one, nowhere in Romans chapter 7 does Paul say we are to chuck or ignore or to dismiss the law of God. I I think the church afresh in this generation needs to hear this, that we are are not given license to break the law of God anytime we want to or ignore it just because we're in love with Jesus Christ. It's, It's just a clear point here. Instead, Paul insists that there is only one Lord for us. There is only one husband, and his name is Jesus Christ we are called into that marriage. And then as as that marriage sticks, here's what Paul's trying to do is is he's trying to say, look, don't just have a great wedding day and then a rotten marriage, all right? That's That's the idea here. So Paul's saying, look, then in that marriage, be careful as Christians not to do the other, which is to slip back into the old order of things that you've been set free from. In other words, Paul's saying, look, do not as Christians swap husbands. Don't swap the person of Jesus Christ, for the old system of law. Christians don't trade your freedom for bondage all over again. Don't don't trade away the indwelling Holy Spirit for the external, external Old Testament Mosaic code. Why not? Because Jesus Christ did not come to set us free from all of that only to make us rigid Christian slaves. He, he didn't come to do that, especially to a law that we cannot fulfill, a law that, that cannot make us holy. Instead, his point, consider yourself out from under the law's demands and alive in marriage to Jesus Christ. Be indwelt, be empowered be in, by the Holy Spirit, be in love with Jesus who makes you able to walk out God's holiness. In other words, what Paul is doing is saying, look, press into Jesus Christ with all of your heart. Love Him with everything you have. And folks, when we do this, we become like Jesus Christ when it comes to the law. We become like Jesus who said, my food is to do the will of the Father. You know, in, in other words, when it comes to the law, our desire will be to obey God as we go further and further into the heart of Jesus Christ and into that love, we will love obeying the Word of God, the laws of God. We will love obeying the Father. Psalm one nineteen sixteen. 16, this will be us. The law of God has become my delight. The law of God has come my delight. And that is what God is after from you and I, the church. This is what Paul is teaching his his audience, that at the end of the day, where we will be in relation to the law of God, we will kind of be like Old Testament Jews. The law of God will not depart from our lips. It will not go away from our life. It will be etched on our hearts. Why is that? Well, here's why. Because Jesus Christ did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to enable us to walk in the law, to, to, to make the Word of God just just like pleasant boundary lines for us that we could run in the path of God's command. Je- Jesus came to move the law from over us like a death sentence to before us like an oasis. How does that sound? I mean, it makes me thirsty right now just being up here. And this water, this water will not satisfy. Jesus came to change the law of God from being our chore and our burden to our desire, our delight, our want to. So in response to those those two wild wings of the church, um, sorry, that probably reminded you of lunch. I'm sorry to do that. But in in those two extremes, God never meant for us to, to become uptight legalists bound to the law. And he never meant for his church to become reckless antinomians who have no regard to the law. God's heart for you and I is that we would become dazzling, holy, spiritual brides who are just in love with Jesus Christ, who would walk with Him, doing the will of the Father, obeying the law of God from the heart. If you want to know what sanctification and holiness is, that's it. That's the sweet spot, and that's what Paul is offering today, is just this sweet spot Of life with God. So, the only question I'll ask you now, and I'll answer, is uh, okay, Paul, that's wonderful, but how do we live this out? You know, how do we actually get here? It sounds amazing. I mean, practically, what do we do? Well, first of all, um, and I'll talk a bit more about this in a second, but first of all, we step into our marriage with Jesus Christ. We step into this marriage union. And listen, guys, I know this is funky to hear, you know? We're men, we're males, but we step in as a bride into a relationship with Jesus Christ as our groom? Absolutely. It's just how the kingdom of God works. But but, but, but we we step into this. And then I think for some of us, another big first step is: I think, I think some of us do need to repent for these, these two kind of marriage extremes, you know, these two law relationship to the law extremes. And, and we've talked about the, uh, one, the first one. We've talked about the second. But that first one is legalist, legalism. And, and if we hold to the marriage principle, what is legalism? Well, it's kind of like this if it played out in a marriage. Legalism in a marriage, if it were confined just to marriage, it would be like a spouse. One of the two spouses is just obsessed with marriage principles, like if my marriage is healthy, then this, 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 and this need to be true. And I'm going to do every one of those things. I'm going to do them perfectly. I'm going to do them in order. And if I just do these marriage principles, my marriage will be perfect. That's that's the, the, the heart of legalism. And see, in that example, all those marriage principles are wonderful. But the problem is one of the spouses is obsessed with them. Uh, the, the, the law in this case has become more dear to us than our relationship to Jesus Christ, and that can happen. I, I have repented a number of times in my life for being legalistic, you know, abandoning the grace of God for the code of God. I, I, I've been guilty before in my life of just being chained to the letter of law and not, not living within the spirit of the law. Some of us might want to repent of, of, of legalism. And the other one, the other common mistake is simply this antinomianism. When we sit back and we say, you know, the law of God, it just doesn't matter anymore because I'm married to Christ. You know what that's like saying? That's like saying, you know what, this car I drive, I don't need to change the oil in the car because it's a car. It's made to drive. You know, the car will maintain itself. That's crazy. Anybody ever tried that? I knew somebody who did that once. They bought a car, they drove it, never changed the oil, and they burned up the engine at about 35,000 miles. But it doesn't work. And the same is true of the Christian life when it comes to the law and the Word of God, all of it. And it's just that, look, the Christian life will not maintain itself. We need the law of God. We need the Word of God. It is still more precious than gold. It is still sweeter than honey. And so we might want to repent of either one of those extremes if that's you and you know if it is, Neil. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, but you, you, you know if that's you, you know? And then what we do is, is when it comes to Christ, we treat this relationship with Jesus Christ like the spiritual marriage it is. Um, we reach out. You know, what are some things you do in a good, healthy, earthly marriage? Well, you reach out to your beloved, don't you? Absolutely. Has any, well, I want to ask that question. That, that, would, be, that would be… But we, we, we foster love with Jesus Christ, just like we have to do in an, in an earthly marriage. We abide by the principles of a great earthly marriage when it comes to Jesus Christ. You know, what are some things you do in, in a Christian marriage? Um, I, I'm going to say these, some of these might not be unpopular, but if you are struggling in your marriage or you're nearly married or you're going to get married, I'm going to give you some realities real quick about marriage, okay? Here's one. In any good marriage, you serve one another. You know, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, you're not going to be very happy. In a marriage, we serve one another, you know? I mean, Jane's work doesn't begin and end with the house. Man, I get in there and vacuum. I serve her. I help her. You know, you need to come change the oil with me sometimes, sweetheart. But we serve each other. It's a big part of marriage. Marriage doesn't work without serving one another. We do that with Christ. We serve Him as our husband, but we also serve Him as our Lord. See, this is when the Lordship of Christ comes crashing in. Um, another big thing we do in a, in a good marriage is we spend quality time together. I can't tell you how many times I'm in a counseling situation. Neil's probably done this before, you know, with, with a, a marriage that's in trouble. And the heart of the, the difficulty is no quality time together. Well, we see each other at the end of the day. You know, we kind of tag, and one of us runs over here. You've you got to spend time. You've got to cu- cultivate love. In the, there's got to be a garden of your love. We, we do that. We spend time together. Folks, we do it with Jesus Christ. We spend time with Him as our Lord. And listen, I'm not going to go legalistic on you, but th- this is one of the primary reasons for a quiet time, just getting still before the Lord in the morning, reading His Word, just listening for His heartbeat, anything He might say to you in the Word or by His Spirit. We spend time, we cultivate our love with Jesus Christ. Um, we, and, and that involves communication. In any great marriage, there's got to be communication. I don't want to know what my marriage would be like if Jane and I didn't talk to each other for two weeks. Looking at Jane, it doesn't look like that would be a good idea. Let's not do that. But we communicate with Jesus. And listen, here's the other one, okay? And this is, this is the, big, the big hairy fish um, this is the vow that everybody wants to throw out of the altar these days. You know, they go, you, Steve, you can do all the vows when you marry us, but don't do this one. And here it is, obedience, all right? In a healthy marriage, there is a very real level of obedience between spouses. Oh, I knew that one wouldn't get a cheer. I knew it wouldn't. But listen, people want to do that today. They say, listen, say, I'll honor, cherish it, but throw out obedience. In a good marriage, when you're in love and you you, you have built that connection, you have a lifetime together. Uh, your spouse ought to be able to ask or command you to do something. My wife says to me, "Sweetheart, I need you to do this." Now, if it's impossible, of course, I'm off the hook. But any other time, it ought to be, "Yes, ma'am, I'll be glad to do that for you right now." A healthy relationship has a level of obedience. Now, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ, who is not just husband, he is Lord. Walking with Jesus involves obedience. We show love to Him by, by, by our obedience to the commands of God. And then the, the last thing you do, not the last thing, but one thing that has to be married, uh, mentioned about marriage, is another thing you do is you adore one another in, uh, in, in a Christian marriage. Uh, take that with Jesus, and it's worship. We don't just adore, adore Jesus, we worship Jesus Christ. Again, my friends, this is holiness, and my prayer has been, Lord, as we walk through these two weeks of sanctification and holiness, Lord, I pray that you would dissolve, just dissolve uh, any, any fear we have about holiness, you know, any, any, any pushbackness, you know, any, ah, oh, it's too hard, it's not, what Paul has given us here is so true, it's so real, it's so alive, it's so a part of our lives. So, let me take a moment I want to invite y'all. First of all, I'm going to invite Hayden up here, who's going to lead us through a song. Now, he's going to play a song for us, and and I want you to hear this song and just worship it, worship as he plays. But let's take a holy moment to just get still before the Lord as a congregation, before our husband, Jesus Christ. And listen, for everyone who has regarded the law of God, and I've done this before at times as well but anyone who has regarded the law as less than it really is. You know, the, who's regarded the law as just dismissible. We've, we've kind of disregarded this wonderful thing which is given for our holiness and for our good. Take a moment and just be free of that. In Jesus' name, you know, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and just let the Lord pull you into this marriage relationship. And, and for anyone else who has done another, you know, extreme thing, which is lift the law of God above Jesus Christ. We've lifted it too high. Just receive forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Let's just pray that every chain, every shackle that's on us when it comes to holiness would just be dissolved, would fall off in the name of Jesus Christ for the sake of our marriage to our husband, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.